Mac Power Users, episode 127, Workflows with Clayton Morris. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Yeah, we have a special guest this week, Clayton Morris. Clayton, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I've been a longtime fan, first-time caller. Um, listen to you guys for a long time, and I blame you guys for costing me a lot of money. Um, oh, really? <laughs> but that's a good thing. That's yeah, a good I get thing. that a lot. I get that a lot. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny, at Macworld, uh, people walk up to me and say, boy, I spend a lot of money, and they're like laughing about it, and then their wife is standing next to them. And it's she's nasty look. She's not laughing. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, my wife is of the technology world, so she uh, she may even have more things running on her computer than I do. Oh, well, maybe we should get her on instead of you. Are you? <laughs> In fact, if you could just step aside, we'll talk to Natalie. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, bye. Uh, uh, honey, honey, can you come in? Yeah, no, no. She, she's better looking than me. She'd be happy to. Well, if you don't know Clayton, uh, he is a host of Fox and Friends, and um, he's a broadcaster, a podcaster an app developer, and many other things among being a geek. And so we've been talking to Clayton for a long time about getting him on the show, and I'm really glad we were able to finally make it happen. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a treat. Um, so, Clayton, uh, I think what we should would start with uh, with you is, you know, your day job is is you run this um, the show over at Fox, and I'm sure there's a lot of, of preparation you do with that stuff. And how do you go about making that happen with your technology? Well, you know, it's interesting. I... When I first got to the show about five years ago, I do the weekend version of the show, and uh, I came in there and started to cover technology uh, for Fox as well as uh, hosting the show. And, you know, when you, people are sort of used to doing things an old way in the in media biz, which is which is fine. They sort of they sort of built the building, you know, but you need the you need the young upstarts sometimes to come in and do some fun things. And they were great, you know, to me. And they just said, uh, hey, just just run with it. Any, any ideas you have? Um that you want to incorporate into the show as far as bringing technology into the show, go ahead. And so, it, you know, it's, it's been hard because you still have an older format, but I immediately, you know, took to Twitter and took to social media and began incorporating that into the show. So it's become a vital part of my conversation with our, our audience every day uh, on, you know, during the show, Hey, we've got this segment. What do you think about it? Being able to co- incorporate that uh, onto the show. I've, you know, even done like Google Hangouts, like during, during live, during the show, using my iPad. Um, so people will jump in and get to see sort of behind the scenes, like on the desk. I'll even put the iPad like on the desk during the show and have people jump into a Google Hangout. So uh, so that's been a lot of fun. But, you know, it actually and we'll talk about this later. But I, you know, one of the, my big workflow problems was I have to read hundreds and hundreds of news articles a week. And so I developed an app, uh, which we you know talk about later, but that actually helped me get through all of that much more quickly. I mean, that, that was really, really the impetus for this because I wanted it for myself, you know, having to read hundreds of articles a day, or I'm sorry, a week, uh, some of those longer form pieces that everyone's talking about in politics, you know, maybe this is a longer New Yorker piece, perhaps it's a longer New York magazine piece. And with kids and, you know, uh, eight month old running, almost running around and screaming in the background, it's a little bit difficult to get that time uh, and Katie, I envy you because of your, was it Sunday morning? You get to sit down with your iPad and go through your Instapaper queue and that's with what a cup I of do. coffee. Every I Sunday. long, I long for that. <laughs> so, um, it's just a matter of time. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of my workflow at work. It's, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm sort of stuck with a PC in my office, which gives me, you know, a great perspective. I'm able to use a PC in my office. And I, I know you guys have to use PCs, I think, in some capacity in your offices as well. And so, you know, I get to get to play with the latest version of Windows. I get to test out all these great gadgets on a weekly basis. I get to test them weeks before other folks get a chance to uh, to look at them. And, you know, my audience really depends on me to, I think, provide a yes or no, should I buy this? And I don't try to beat around the bush. You know, I think uh, maybe there's some gadget reviewers out there that just like to kind of, you know, be all things to everyone. And I really, the baseline to me is, you know, if my mom's going to have a problem using this, um, she can't figure it out that I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell my viewers uh, to, to buy this. Yeah, you know, that's a, there's a couple things you've covered there. I mean, one is a common theme we see with a lot of our guests, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Uh, we've ta- talked to people that are in medicine and education, um, you know, what music, everything, movies. The, there's this thing where these workflows started several years ago as computers were emerging into Windows. And it seems like in a lot of ways – that's when the ideas became set as to how we're going to use these things. And computers have changed a lot in the last 20 years, but industries are very resistant to adopting better, more efficient workflows and better file formats and things like that because they're just so set in their way. So that was really interesting to me that you're facing that in in your business as well. Yeah, and having an IBM computer, I don't know if it was a, I forget which one it was. I think when I first got there, you know, during the show, I just found it to be kludgy. I just was like, I'm not going to sit here and use this this older laptop, you know, to pull up a, a show rundown. Um, I was bringing in my own MacBook and connecting to the network, and I was told, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. So then, fortunately, right around that time, um, you know, the, I started just using my iPhone almost exclusively on the show. That's what I was doing for, for my workflow during the show. I was tweeting using my iPhone. I was uh, taking pictures of guests in the green room, um, shooting little videos. You know, when we have you know, maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger in the back room or uh, Bob Barker, or who you know, whoever's floating through our studios during the show and uh, Vanilla Ice, you know, and we'll shoot a little video and just talk and I post it up on YouTube or, or tweet it out using TwitVid and so people could kind of see some behind the scenes and that really hadn't been done before on our show that way and uh, then of course the iPad, you know, changed everything for me. Um, I, in fact, my stage manager doesn't even put a computer out on the desk anymore for me. Cause I, I just won't even open it. I don't even, I yeah. don't even want, you know, want to open one of those things. So I just pull out the iPad now and that's what I use every day during the show. Um, you know, I'll put up a, an app like Streamboard. and, and Katie, you're going to hate me. Do you do the show notes for the show? Because you're going to hate me because <laughs> we both do. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Dave, Dave is going to have to step in with some of these show notes on this one because it's going to be a, a madhouse because there's so many little tools and, and, and apps and things that I end up using that, um, that I know you guys probably use a lot of, but like Streamboard, for instance, during the show, um, which, you know, a, a, gr- a great app that I can, you know, you can follow hashtags, you can follow trends. So I'll set it up there on the desk. And if people are tweeting, you know, at FF Weekend or just my personal account or they're commenting on a particular story, I'll just see in real time all these tweets like coming right into the show. Um, and it's really exciting to be able to see it that way. And you can get more granular so you can follow individuals who don't have many followers or you can follow people who have, you know, maybe like a higher level of followers. So you can kind of scrape out some of the new the people who just signed up for Twitter yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, who just want to get on there and be trolls. 
but it's a really useful tool, especially like when following uh, certain big news events, big breaking news events, whether it's um, the Arab Spring or there's an election in Egypt and we're covering, you know, all the, the tumult in, uh, in Tahrir Square. I'm able to pull up those hashtags from people who are right there in the middle of Tahrir Square and watch as they're, they're uh, having these discussions. Or uh, some of the, the recent attacks with Israel, being able to see people who are actually witnessing uh, the aircraft overhead and 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 and, uh, and missile attacks coming in. People who are there, journalists who are right there on the ground. Um, so that's a that's been a really powerful app. But the iPad just really has changed everything because uh, I'm not te- I'm not then tethered to that laptop anymore. There's just so much to like about the iPad. Um, someone was just telling me the other day. They said, you know, there are there are hangups with the iPad. I mean, it's not a Mac. You can't have two screens on two windows on the screen at the same time. But I, my response was, that's true. But for the stuff it can do, it does it really well. And it's got an always-on internet connection, and it's got a 10-hour battery. Right. And that's really tough to argue with. Yeah, especially for travel. I mean, I just tested this past week, and I've been using it, the new Logitech uh, ultra-thin keyboard uh, for the iPad mini. Uh, of course, I think oh. they make the best of the keyboards for the larger iPad. Yeah, so I right. use the I use that for the for my large iPad, but the mini one looked too small for me. Is that does it cramp your fingers using that? Well, it's a little tight, and I posted up a um, I run a photography blog, which is just a passion of mine called photographybegins.com, and I posted a video review of it up there, so you can see. And I'm six foot two, so you can see uh, my sort of gargantuan hands on the keyboard, and you know I found it to be first of all. You're dealing with a smaller device, so yes, it's going to be a little bit more cramped. One thing you have to get used to is the caps lock key also doubles as the A key. <laughs> really? <laughs> so Logitech being a little creative, but uh, I mean, for travel, I mean, I, I just was in New Zealand and and it hadn't yet come out, so I didn't get a chance to take it with me. But gosh, I took the iPad Mini with me, and it was great. You know, it was great not having the larger iPad in my bag, and uh, you know, space when you're doing like sort of international travel is a, is at a, is at a premium. Uh, and that Logitech ultra thin keyboard, it's really well made. It comes in white and black. So you can, you know, whatever iPad mini you have. And of course you, you mentioned the battery life. I mean, it just lasts forever. I don't think I ever charge it. I don't know how, maybe it somehow like a, there's a hamster running around somewhere that charges it because I never charge the thing. Um, and it just, it's, it always works. It just it uses such little power that it's just fantastic. Yeah, it is. It really is a game changer for me as an attorney. I am, um, I've been in court most of the last week. I had a, a big case and having all of the case files on my iPad, you know, and I, I've, I'm using PDF pen and a couple other apps to kind of like manage and organize them, but being able to immediately access them, they're all bookmarked. It, it really is a game changer. It's, it's amazing to me how, how much faster it is. And uh, so what I do uh, when I'm in the midst of the things like that, I will use my ultra thin keyboard, but it's with the larger size iPad. And I still haven't got over, you know, I, I'm kind of weird about this because I keep talking about the retina screen and how I love the retina screen, blah, blah, blah. But when I was at Macworld, when I was traveling and walking around every day, uh, I left the big iPad in a hotel room by and large every day. And the mini was the one I was carrying around with me. So I'm not sure, maybe I talk the game, but don't really walk the walk or whatever the saying is. Yeah. Katie, you use you're using still the larger iPad, right? Yeah, I do have the larger iPad, and I'm using a Zag Folio keyboard or uh, Zag Flex keyboard, which is a separate keyboard because I I very rarely actually use it with the keyboard attached, so I like having that separate keyboard. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't use it all that often. I, I, I know when I need it, like if I'm going to do some heavy traveling and I need an extra keyboard for that, then I'll, then I'll bring it. For the most part, though, I find, you know, what's great about the iPad mini is that I find thumb typing is great on it. Right. Yeah, in, um, in portrait mode, right? Yeah. In portrait mode. Yeah. Yeah. It works uh, great. I, cause I've never been, I don't know what it is. I'm, I, I cannot type on the iPhone uh, with thumb pads in portrait mode. And I know people that are really good at it. My daughter is like crazy. She can like type on it while she's looking at you. She's not even looking at the keyboard, but, um, uh, I turn it on the side. I can do okay. But, uh, on the iPad mini, I'm, I'm just fine with that thing in portrait. Yeah. Mode. I think my, my initial training was on an iPhone. I never had, uh, had a Blackberry for a short amount of time and just hated it. So my real, I think my, my first keyboard training was really on a virtual keyboard. So I don't, I, I find it to be great to type on the iPhone. So when the iPad mini came out, thought this is great i can type in portrait mode with my thumbs and it works really well plus i use voice you know voice dictation quite a bit and i use you know just on my ipad when i'm taking notes and different things i use evernote nonstop. i mean like i told uh you know creator of evernote phil libin who's such a great guy i said i i don't know what i would do without evernote now i mean it's my you know people you know call it a junk drawer but i use it for the show every day so as i'm going through my notes very often, I don't even type it out. I'll just voice dictation. You know, if I have like seven or eight articles that we're going to talk about on the show that day, uh, for for instance, this weekend we were talking about sequestration, of course, and what Congress is doing and uh, all of these sort of budget issues. And so going through four or five different articles that are relevant and I'm able to make bullet points and just do voice dictation right into Evernote, uh, save it up to the cloud. I can even do it right on my desk, you know, at, in my office. And if I want to type it out on a longer keyboard, hit save. And then as I go downstairs for the show with my iPad in hand, I know that the note is there. <laughs> I already saved it upstairs. Now it's right on my iPad. I just launch Evernote and it propagates and boom, that note is right there. So I can glance down during the show and I can sort of go paperless during the show. That's my goal. Yeah. So I know you'll be happy about that, David, is going paperless. Let's talk uh, about Evernote for a minute because I'm a I'm big Evernote user and I'm always curious to hear how other people are using Evernote. So tell me a little bit about your organization structure for Evernote. Are you using it just for show prep? Are you using it for personal stuff as well? Uh, are you tagging? Are you filing these things in separate notebooks? I'm, are you grabbing stuff from web pages and sending them into notebooks and triaging them later. How are you, give me some more information on how you're using Evernote in your personal and in your, your work, your work life. Almost all of the above. I mean, all of those things you just hit upon I'm using. So for instance, here's just one little casual way we were, I wanted to build some garden, uh, some raised planter beds in my backyard last summer and the spring, uh, we moved out to the, the country or New Jersey, uh, out of the city. And we wanted to start growing a garden. So I wanted to start doing all this research on how to do some raised planter beds. And I knew nothing of this. I grew up with a garden in my parents' backyard, but I didn't know how to, you know, what kind of wood to get. We wanted to make sure that we had organic wood so that there was no like pest, you know, preservatives in the wood. And I just started doing mounds and mounds of research on it, uh, YouTube videos and you name it. So yeah, I created a particular notebook for our, our house here. So we have a house, you know, I have a house notebook. And so if I go and buy new LED light bulbs for the bathroom, for the downstairs, I take, you know, a photo of it while I'm at Home Depot, uh, dump it right into my, this particular home, uh, whatever I have it called, uh, our house, uh, you know, a family house or whatever the notebook is. And so that photo gets uploaded there, salt for the, uh, for the, um, uh, bath, what do you call that? The, the water softener, water softener yeah. um, you know, it's those things that I never remember. And so when I'm at home Depot, I take a picture of, I take a photo of the bag of salt that I buy and upload it right to Evernote, tag it 
and I open the app and make sure that it's, you know, it's right in the proper folder. Or later, if I just don't have access or time to go through and do some tagging, I'll do it later. Um, for the show, I'll go through and create like a talking points list very often for all of the segments. And we would do a four-hour show. So I'll go from interviewing a senator to a monkey. You know, I, we just do so many random well, things on the show. There's not difference there. Right. Same no, you're problem. right. Exactly. So it's the same. Actually, I could actually mix up the cards for the guest and it would probably be the same thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, and then I'll, I'll put all of those in sort of a talking points folder for the show. Um, as I look through here, books that I want to read, I have a books folder, uh, wines that I love. I have a shared folder with my wife for one of our, you know, for a house so that uh, there are things, maybe there's an end table that we want to buy that goes in there. Uh, one thing that I've gotten to do, and I love doing this uh, with my son and my daughter, my son is two and a half. My daughter is uh, nine months and I love hearing them say ridiculous things because I do it all the time. So it'd be, you know, I hear little random little sayings that my son comes up with or something my daughter's yelling about or trying to trying to learn how to talk. And I'll record a voice memo on my iPhone. Just I'll kind of, you know, kind of hide it because my son's on to me now. Yeah. So I'll launch the voice memos app on my iPhone or you don't even need to do that. Now you can do it right in the Evernote app. Before what I was doing, before they added that voiceover technology in Evernote was launch the voice memos app. Just hit a little recording and hear my son talk about whatever Superman thing he's going to talk about in a funny way that he does. And when I'm done with it, I'd email it off to my Evernote folder, and it shows up beautifully right inside of Evernote as a voice memo. And then but, I have that forever. Yeah, you know what? That's a really great idea. Because my kids are older, and they don't say cute things anymore. It's more like, <laughs> Dad, I need money. Right. <laughs> and, uh, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I would give a lot of money to, uh, to hear some of those cute things they used to say again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just have a folder of now for both for both my daughter, Ava, and my son, Miles, and I can go through them. And, you know, we were sitting out on a dock up fishing one day and my he was he could he just learned how to talk, you know, and he was just talking about fishies and fishes and like just to hear that and me asking him and him talking and now to hear him talk, you know, he talks a mile a minute. But then it's just priceless. I'm so glad I was able to get those things. Yeah. So now when you're preparing for your show, though, you say you, you take notes in Evernote. So you're using Siri dictation in the Evernote app, right? Right. So it, if I'm not using my desktop, I'm using Siri. Yeah. Because I'm a broadcaster, so I think better speaking it. Um, I started out when I was young doing stand-up comedy, if you can believe that, when I was like 15 and 16 years old. And, and so I would go in my room, and I, if I was going to go down to a club in Philadelphia and get up and do stand up, I would spend hours in my room just going over things and, and looking in the mirror and kind of perfecting how I was going to deliver something. So that's how you do it. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, you know, I'd sit down, I, I kind of take all of these articles and ingest them and, and then kind of spit out my thoughts on them. The, the points, you know, that the audience needs to know the who, what, why, where, and how of good journalism, getting those pieces of information out there. I'm also trying to provide some historical context. I was a history major, so maybe I can throw a little bit of historical context in there. And all of this I'm sort of dictating. And then I, it sort of helps me. I almost don't need to look at my notes then during the show, because once I've done that sort of voice dictation into the Evernote, then I'm, you know, it's like I've already done the practice run. <laughs> and I'm good to go. There's something to be said for that. I, I think that whenever you speak to people, um, writing down and reading it over and over again is is not a sufficient preparation. You actually have to say the words. You have to get them out of your lips several times before you actually give them. And um, I've always believed that. Like I, I remember this great 
case I had years ago, and I was uh, we were just getting we were, we had just finished the testimony. We were going to give closing statements the next day, and I was in my car driving home, and um, it was kind of hot, and my air conditioning was broke, so I had my windows down, and the um, I was giving my closing statement at a red light, you know, because I was literally giving it as I drove home just to kind of get the words out of my lips. <laughs> and you know how you just sense somebody's looking at you? I, I look to my left and two jurors oh, are, had, no. are sitting in the car next to me, oh, looking no. at me, laughing. And I um, and I just, you know, turned red and stopped and just kept going. And, and, I, and I'm like, boy, I don't know how that's going to go. I ended up winning the case. And the jurors came up to me afterwards. They said, were you practicing your closing statement? I said, yeah, I was. <laughs> you're doing the closing statements from a, a, a few good men pretending you're taking on Jack Nicholson. Oh yeah. Good, well, every, every case feels like that to me, yeah. but the, um, <laughs> but no, I, I really think that's true. If you're going to speak to anybody, um, give a little thought to that and try getting the words out a few times and it makes a difference. Yeah. And you always make it shorter, you know, or at least in my case, I try to, sometimes you just keep adding things. Like I do a segment once a week called uh, tech take and where I review new technology. I just, uh, playing with the new Mophie juice pack air for the iPhone. Yeah. How do you like that? Uh, I love it. I love it. I have one hang up though, which is the ear earbuds hole, which is very difficult to, uh, to get your earbuds into. It's yeah, because it's on the bottom now, right? Yeah, it's on the bottom, and you're trying to fish it down that hole, and they have this little earphone extender jack that comes with it, um, which is great for those earbuds. You know that have the bent end to them? They're turned to the side. You know, yeah, not every earbud like an you know, elbow. looks like. Right, yeah, yeah but, exactly. But how fast am I going to lose that? Right. I mean, that's it's just like one more thing to have. But um, so, you know, that's my only hang-up. But it's really nice. It's light. It's durable. And I've been a big fan of Mophie for years, so this is it was about time. Um, but I was doing a piece the other day, I think two days ago or whatever it was, um, on the new Mophie and uh, into camera was having to say, you know, Hey, I'm Clayton Morris with your Fox tech take. And I was having to go through this intro. And for whatever reason, I, maybe it's the head cold. I don't know. I just couldn't get it out. But as I kept going, it kept getting longer. I'm like, that's not my rule. Like it should get shorter. The more I, the more times I do this. Yeah. And then I think that ties into using Siri dictation in that, uh, a lot of people give it a try and it works okay for them, but you have to be consciously thinking about speaking properly into Siri because it's garbage in, garbage out. If you mumble your words and, and don't do a good job of dictating to it, it's going to have a much harder time giving you back what you want. And uh, with your training and frankly mine in my day job, uh, I, I think I'm pretty good at it. And people who, who don't spend a little bit of time figuring that out, uh, give up on it really quickly when I think they're making a mistake. Yeah. I end up using it. I use the app day one mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit. I started it last year, maybe the beginning or whenever it came out when it was being heavily hyped, I, I downloaded yeah. it. Great journaling app. If you've, you know, if uh, I know, I know some of you guys have been using it, but um, if some of your audience hasn't, it's such a great journaling app and it actually in a way sort of forces you to be a better journaler, you know, to kind of keep a diary. Um, and, you know, you can set notifications so it'll pop up on your screen like, hey, time to write in your day one journal. And I use it sometimes when I'm driving. Uh, I will, you know, just launch it and uh, do some Siri dictation while I'm driving. And that way I'm obviously hands on the wheel and focused on the road. But I've got my earbuds in sometimes and I'll just dictate a whole bunch of thoughts uh, into my diary. And I'm like, wow, I just had a whole diary entry. Yeah. You know, dear diary, I woke up this morning a little late and I just end up going through the whole thing and I end up, it's like a really, really long entry when I'm done. <laughs> I find, and the ones that I have to type are like a paragraph. Yeah. You'd never sit down at a keyboard and put that much out because right. you've got too many things um, 
pressing on you. Yeah, and then you can add photos to it, and uh, they've added some great stuff. Tagging now into day one. So, yeah, voice dictation for me. Although I've been a little frustrated lately. I got the new iMac, um, it, which I love, and I, I wanted it for photo editing and everything else. So I got the uh, a new iMac at home. But I'm having a lot of trouble with the voice dictation on the Mac, and I'm just not sure what's going on. I need to do some uh, I, w- I to wonder out. maybe it's because you're sitting back a little bit further from the microphone. It's, it's not picking it up as well. You'd think. You'd think. I think it has, um, I think, two microphones now in the new iMac, um, the new 27-inch. I'm not sure. I have to look at the configuration again. But, you know, just double-tapping the function key to bring up voice dictation. And of course, they're not calling it Siri on the iMac yet. Yeah. Um, but it used to work on my older iMac, my 2009 iMac. When I upgraded to Mountain Lion, it worked great. Uh, now on the new iMac, it's not working at all. Anytime I ever dictate anything, I just get the little uh, little purple dots, and then it vanishes, and nothing. It's like nothing. It's like I wasn't even there. So mm-hmm. I need to figure out what's going on. What you should do if you're serious about it is is get yourself a version of a Dragon Dictate and put that in, and get yourself a headset mic. And that's what I do on my Mac, and I dictate a lot, uh, and it's better than Siri dictation or whatever they're calling it on the Mac, in that it doesn't stop after two or three sentences. You can just keep going, and you see your words appear as you're dictating them. Yeah. I used to have run it on my old iMac, and I haven't <clears> – <throat> when I uh, when I upgraded, I, I didn't bring it over yet. So I need to I need to do that. I need to get the newest version of Dragon. Yeah. I think it's version 3 now, um, and it's really very good. And it does transcription. So like you do diary entries, I do them on a little Sony pocket recorder. And I'll just sit there and talk into it for – however long I feel like to, you know, vent my spleen. And when I'm done, uh, it's got a little USB port uh, built into the recorder. I plug it into the Mac, download the audio file, comes over as a WAV file. Then I boot up Dragon Dictate and say transcribe, and it transcribes the whole thing for me. And it does oh, a nice. very good job. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I would love that. So, Clayton, I want to talk a little bit more about how you do your show prep and, and specifically maybe get into a little bit about your app and, and how you kind of manage all this onslaught of, of information. But before we do, I want to take a quick break right here and talk about our first sponsor for this show, and that is Fujitsu and their ScanSnap line of scanners. Now, my brand new Fujitsu ScanSnap iX500 just arrived on my desk uh, yesterday. The UPS guy delivered it, and I was so excited to get it home and set it up this morning. And first impressions are this thing is just absolutely gorgeous. Black is back sitting on my desk. It just blends in. Although the white 1500 I had was was beautiful as well. This thing, I, I don't know how they did it. It's just this powder coated matte finish and it's just absolutely stunning sitting on my desk. But then I set it up and I connected it to the Wi-Fi and I downloaded the iOS app. So now that I can scan from my phone and it's, that was just amazing. But I stuck a piece of paper in the scanner and I hit the scan button because I'd saved up a few things. I wanted to test with this new scanner that I knew was coming. And I must admit, David, you you probably know this because you've been playing with yours for a little while. I said a non-podcats safe string of words when that first run of scans went through that scanner because it's fast. Al- although that 1500 I had been using for a couple of years was fast, this thing is like smoking fast. I was shocked. And I, I didn't even believe me. The fifteen hundred was no slouch. So, first impressions of this iX five hundred, man, I am going to use the heck out of this thing. I've I have thrown probably a couple of hundred pieces of paper at it that I've had saved up for the last couple of weeks. I cannot get that thing to jam 
with a or or to do a double feed or anything. They've got this new technology with these rollers that are rolling in in reverse order to keep it from jamming or to keep you from getting a double feed and it just smokes through the the stuff. I don't know if it's a new version of the ScanSnap software if it's just specifically configured for the iX500. But it can scan up to Evernote, it can scan to Google Docs, it can scan to Dropbox. So I've been taking advantage of some of those new features. I'm just really in love with this. And what I like is that these scanners have such a great lifespan. I'm now taking my 1500 to the office and I'm taking the 1300 that I had in the office and I'm passing that down to my brother who's a school teacher. And he's really looking forward to getting his hands on the 1300 because uh, he's got all kinds of uh, uses that he can um He's been he's been bugging me for it, and I said, "Well, maybe as soon as I upgrade to the new iX500, you can have my 1300." And uh, he's he's already texted me a few times this weekend. Can I have it yet? Can I come get it? Can I come get it? So. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I'm even still the the very first S500 that I bought. I don't know what five years ago, six years ago. Um, it, that's now on my wife's desk because she wants to have her own scanner, and it works just fine. But I agree with you. The the speed of this new one and the iOS features, it's really a, a big improvement. Yeah. You can find more information about the whole Fujitsu line of ScanSnap scanners because they've got one for everyone, whether it's the single document uh, 1100 or the desktop 1300 or the Mac Daddy iX500. Uh, you can find everything over at uh, ez.com slash MPU. And that link will let them know that you came to them through Mac power users. Um, and thanks to everybody who has tweeted out that they've gotten these scan snaps through Mac, uh, because they heard about them, our show or, or sent an email to Fujitsu or walked up to them at Macworld because we've gotten a lot of great feedback. And I think a lot of happy Mac power user listeners out there just scanning away. So thanks to Fujitsu for their continued support of Mac power users. So Clayton, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I, I want to get, get back to it. How do you prep for all of this stuff that you need to know? Because when you do a four hour show, you guys cover dozens and dozens of topics, because as we know, on a, on a new show, like the type that you do, you're changing topics, you know, probably at the most every five to seven minutes. And yeah. I mean, that's the, you can't really prepare that morning. You know, you can to a degree, but I feel like for me, maybe my success in this business is that I'm preparing all week um, and every day. And I try to read an exorbitant amount of news every day. And yes, it's become a little bit more difficult, obviously with kids. And, you know, you want to make sure that when you're home, you're home and you're not spending too much time, uh, you know, not being present and not being aware that you're, you've got a family, you know, these aren't single days anymore for me. So, uh, as a, as an independent soul, as I am, I've got to find out, you know, convenient ways or maybe extreme ways of, of consuming news. And so for me, a lot of it had turned to audio, uh, initially, you know, I'm, I'm a big oral learner. So for me, a lot of it was, okay, can, what, what news podcasts can I get? What sort of news programs can I get? Can I listen through the audible app and get the New York Times as part of my subscription. And sure enough, you know, 45 minutes, I can get most of the big New York Times stories of the day. That wasn't always convenient for me because it didn't necessarily fit into an overall workflow. So I kind of abandoned that. And one thing that I wanted to do was build an iPad app. And when the iPad hit, it was a perfect opportunity for me to do something that I've been obsessed with since I was a kid, which was speed reading. And I'd always been fascinated. I don't know if you guys remember those late night commercials with the guy with the really thick glasses. Who would Eva, like use Evelyn his, Wood, I think it was called or something. Like yeah, that. I don't yeah. know. And he would like 
you know, use his hands like really, really fast across the page. And you're like, he's not reading. There's no way. And he would like really thick glasses and you could buy like these cassette tapes that taught you how to do it. So I conned my parents into getting it for me when I was like 12 years old. And my mom, I knew in college had taken a speed reading course and she could read when I had to bring a book home from school, she would just read it in like two hours. And she'd be able to sit there and have a great conversations with me about the text. And I was like, how do you, how do you do that? So I, when the iPad came out, I said, there's gotta be a way where I can build an iPad app that gives me, I can have access to all my news that I want to read, whether it's through RSS or some other means, how can I do it? And be able to speed read my news articles. If I've got that 40 minute article, I know is going to take me forever from the New Yorker. And I literally have to get through another 15 other articles for context on healthcare or whatever it happens to be. Um, or, you know, Microsoft rolling out this or uh, Apple doing this. I want to, I just want to have as much as I can and then be able to synthesize. So I came up with the idea for an app that is now out called read quick. Um, and it took about a year to, uh, to, you know, to develop. And, and it was, um, it was my idea. And then a great, great design team, uh, at wonder sauce. I'm telling you, if any of your listeners ever need somebody to design, whether it's a beautiful website or, or, or an iOS app, um, these are your guys, they built Engadget, um, they built Anheuser-Busch, they did all of these great things. And so they built read quick for me, um, and just really elegant design. And I, all the praise goes to them for, for, for the, for the look and feel of it. And then my friend Pablo was a programmer. He built Jimmy Fallon's uh, iOS app. So he did all the ones and zeros and built it, you know, and that was a lesson for me. I mean, that was an education learning that on the one hand, you have a programmer and the one hand you have a designer and you have to find a good, there's a lot of friction a lot of times, but not with them. You know, I got very lucky that we all worked very well together. And when the little changes on a font, then, you know, my program was able to, to tweak that. And I was able to say, I didn't really like this, the flow of this. I want to be able to see how this a little bit different. And the, and the gist of the app is that it gives you one word at a time on your screen. And I partnered with, I was lucky enough to be able to partner with Marco uh, of Instapaper. And um, my friend John Gruber was actually his suggestion. Uh, he was sort of helping me yeah. early on. And he said, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to Marco. Um, I think I see, I see a great relationship here. And, and sure enough, he was right. And uh, Marco was gracious. And we kind of hammered it out. And you're able to pull in your Instapaper queue and you know, those articles that you aspirationally save that you just never get to. I have emails from, from users all the time now saying, man, I'm able to get through my Instapaper queue for the first time. And that's been incredibly gratifying. But for me, I built it for myself. You know, I, I funded it. It's all mine. And I just wanted so I could use it every day. Uh, those are usually the, the best apps, the ones you make to scratch your own itch. Yeah. And I never really cared if anyone bought it. <laughs> I've just been fortunate that people have. And I've been hearing from folks who suffer from dyslexia who've written me, I've received a lot of emails saying, this is the first time I've ever been able to read news. And my mom, who's a social worker, I sent it to my mom and like, she cried. She's like, she never thought her son would be, you know, do something like that. So she was really thrilled that I was able to help someone who, uh, you know, maybe had a learning disability or something like that. This is the first time they'd ever been able to read news because it gives them the news one word at a time without the other, other words on the screen. And the iPad has just been great. And when the mini came out, I thought, oh, how's this going to look on the mini? And and make a few little tweaks, but it just looked even better. Um, so I don't even use the larger iPad anymore. I just use Read Quick on the on the iPad Mini all the time. Now 
I am a subscriber to Instapaper. In addition to, you know, having purchased the app, I think I pay them a dollar a month. And I know that enables additional features. And Instapaper works just great for ReadQuick for me. Do you need to be an Instapaper subscriber for that to work? No, no. You can be a free Instapaper account holder. Um, okay. So you don't need to do that. We're, you know, we keep trying to add functionality. People ask for different things. They've been asking for, well, can we have, you know, folder support um, from Instapaper and Pocket? Because we added Pocket recently as well. And um, you know, the, the risk of that is then we become you know, an Instapaper client. And we don't want to do that, you know. So adding all of these sub-layers of Instapaper and Pocket, I think kind of takes away from the app. Um, and it also, I think, takes away from Instapaper. You know, yeah. if you want to, you want all that folder support, then you use Instapaper and do it that way. It's, you know, it's a general access to your folder. So uh, it give you the most recent 50 articles that you've saved to your Instapaper queue. Uh, and, you know, if you have them buried in folders, then... Obviously, they need to be within that 50 to be usable. Now, um, tell me this. How, how do you use Instapaper? Because I know in my own personal experience, um, I went that route where I had all these folders and I was moving stuff into folders. And I thought it was really great so I could sit down and have this curated magazine with whatever I want. And at some point along the way, I realized all I was doing was collecting articles I would never read. Right. So I'm much more specific about it now. I just have the one folder, and I clean that out pretty regularly. And stuff get stuff may get sent to OmniFocus to deal with later, or it may get sent to Evernote if it's something I want to archive. But generally, I read what I have there, and I delete what I don't get to pretty yeah. regularly. I was... You know, for a while I was archiving everything, but I realized I'm never going to go back to it. Now, unless it's something I wanted to save for the show or there's some other reason I needed to save it, uh, mostly I'll just save it in Evernote. Um, I just feel like to me, Instapaper is the place where I'm going to read it and then I'm going to, you know, delete it because I like I like the idea of having almost like inbox zero with it. Um, and to me, it's another layer, right? I, I'm going through my RSS feed and if I want to read it, then the idea of Instapaper to me is to complete that task. And then to save it once again is maybe, you know, just another layer that I don't need with another inbox. So the way that I use it, I just go through and I've got bookmarklets, you know, on different browsers that I end up using. And I see these articles that I need, that I need to read for the show or just for my own personal use and, and boom, 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 and just saving, saving, saving. And then very often, uh, you know, I just launch read quick and just power through that list. And I create a timed playlist within read quick so I can go through and find the articles that I want to read at that moment. And if I've got 20 minutes, I can create a, I can create a playlist that's 20 minutes long and I just hit play. And I know that over the next 20 minutes, I've got articles that are going to fill that time based on the read rate and based on how much uh, the length of the article. Okay. Now um, we should stop right there. Cause I don't think we've explained what read quick does. <laughs> okay. So, so when you open read quick, it's, it's really fascinating. I, I use your app by the way. Um, oh, so, thank you. uh, you put an article, like an instant paper article you want and you pick it and it tells you how many minutes it will take to display it. It, it tells you right in the app. So, you know, if it's like a five minute article or a 20 minute article. And then once you press go, um, the screen turns white and it displays each word individually and just just robots through them. So you just watch your screen and each word appears on the screen. Right. I guess maybe I should step back and explain a little bit of the theory behind this type of reading, because like I said, I was obsessed with speed reading. And it turns out you know, I've done all this sort of brain research over the past few years on this. And I'm continuing to do that, actually, because 
as I meet with some different doctors and some of the leaders and thought leaders in like neuroplasticity, um, neuroplasticity of the brain, we are able to learn and comprehend more by doing different things. You know, as we get older, there was this myth that we would get dumber and that we can only learn a new skill playing guitar, learning Spanish as a child. It turns out that that's not the case at all. That makes me so have... happy. I have to tell you, we just talked <laughs> it, about this a few episodes ago. We did. I oh, don't really? remember what the context was, but yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a great book by the way called guitar zero. And I think it's by a uh, doctor who is leading the research in this. And he had no skills to play guitar at all. And he had done all this research on rats and all these sorts of things and, and owls and, and owls, it turns out learn best by just doing little tiny bits of information at a time with no expectation, no agenda, which is how kids learn. Yeah. But as adults, we feel like, right, when we learn photography or we want to learn guitar, we become obsessed with it. We have to learn it all right now, and we need every tool possible. And then we get frustrated when we can't learn it this quickly, and then we we give it up. But if, you know, kids never get frustrated with it. They just slowly learn it until they've get, got their 10,000 hours, and suddenly, you know, this kid's seven years old, and he can play the banjo like Steve Martin. You know, it's incredible. Um Anyway, that book is Guitar Zero, and I love, I, love the, uh, I love the thought process behind it. So it's so encouraging for us as adults to learn new skills. Um, so with the app, I like to say that we all see words as pictures, as photographs. And we do. You know, they're not individual words. They're photographs. So when you're in Times Square, your brain is seeing all of those signs. It's seeing the Ann Taylor sign and the Victoria's Secret sign. At least mine goes right to the Victoria's Secret sign. You see, you know, McDonald's. You see all of these logos and signs and, and street signs, but you're not reading them out loud verbally, but your brain has seen them. And so that's the idea behind Read Quick, which is to get you away from verbalizing. Uh, we read slower when we sort of mouth every word. Yeah, mentally, yes. Right, mentally, yeah. Um, and so the idea is that if you can up the speed on the app, just past the point of where you can't verbalize it anymore, that's when your comprehension increases. So most humans read it about 230 words a minute. So that's what the app I think is set at when you launch it for the first time. And then, you know, I have friends who are beta testers and so forth who are up over like 500 up to cl close to 600. My friend, Peter Rojas from, um, gdgt.com and, formerly of, uh, of Engadget, um, he, he was writing me at one point, I think back in the fall, and he said, I'm up over 500. I said, wow, you're beating me. 470. So, that's my answer. 470? Wow. That's yeah. a good one. That, that's, that's kind of right. That's like been my sweet spot. Sometimes I'll go up to 490. Um, but uh, yeah, 230 is where we start. And the idea is to get the word on the screen faster than we can verbalize it. And pretty soon you'll be flying through articles and you'll realize once you're done, you think, and we've made some tweaks, obviously, for some hyphenated words and some of the more proper proper nouns. We're still, you know, tweaking some of the algorithm to make sure that it's it'll pause on 15, 15 letters or more so that the brain can process that. Because if, if your field of vision is focused on the center of the screen and suddenly you get a massively long word, you just need a beat, just a hair, just this tiny beat to comprehend that word and then move on. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, And I like the big text. You know, you have the ability to display it small or large. Um, I display large and I'll just sit there and just let it go. It's it's like you're plugged in, you know, <laughs> right? I don't know how else to put it, but it, it's fun. Yeah. And, and you have to focus. And I think that helps as well, because it's going so fast that your brain needs to be engaged. Whereas when I read a standard book, a lot of times, my mind will start drifting off to something else, because I'm not getting, I'm not using all my bandwidth. And as a result, I try to put the excess bandwidth somewhere else, which means that I'm not actually reading. Right. Yeah, you know, we had a, a 
we had a teacher just write to us too. And I, we, we were trying to work on a book solution. This has been one of our, we're working on an iPhone version, but this is one of the most requested features is a book version uh, or not a book version, but adding books to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the problem is that Kindle is closed, of course, and, and, and Apple is mostly closed. And yeah. to try to get, you know, try to do it elegantly, it's, it's been, we're, we're really working on it. Um, I had a teacher write me from, I think, Australia the other day saying that he told his entire class, they've all got read quick, and that's how they're reading Jane Eyre right now in his class. And I said, um, what the heck? I told my wife, how are you reading books in my app? And I don't know how to read books in my app. But let me um, guess, does he save it to Instapaper? Right. He's saving individual chapters just yeah. into and using it that way. So his class is doing it by chapter. And he says his students for the first time are paying attention because they know they're not dreading having to sit for hours and get through Jane Eyre. Yeah. Um, I just found that fascinating. I mean, he taught me how to use my app. And this is an, an answer I've been looking for. He said some of the open source books are not open source, but um, public domain books and that yeah. sort of thing that are available. You're able to pull in Google Books and stuff. Yeah. Well, anything you can put in a text file, you could. You could yeah. put into uh, Instapaper. Sure. That's right. So, Clayton, what's the step before you get it into Instapaper um, or and then Instapaper or whatever feeds it into ReadQuick? What are you using to manage your RSS feeds and to figure out um, what are the sources that are important to you? Because there's a there's a lot of signal to noise ratio out there and oh, and you've, yeah. you've got to figure out what's important and how to filter that down because I think we're all kind of going through this information overload right now. You know, I've just been pruning out my RSS feeds and I, I can't keep track of everything and I, you know, open up my RSS feed and I've got a thousand unread articles and I just hit the, you know, mark all as red button because I just can't deal with that. So, and, and I would imagine that the, the problem is so much worse for you than it is for for us because you're you're you know I tend to follow specific subject areas and and you've got to follow the specific subject areas that you're interested in and then just all the news in general. So how how do you yeah. do that? It is it is so tough and you hit on exactly what I've been obsessed with over the past few years, which is my and I've sort of coined this phrase that I'm hopefully going to be doing more with. Uh, and around the app itself, but because I'm so passionate about exactly this information overload, which kills me. I mean, first of all, I use Reader um, as my RSS feed reader, but I found that I've been drifting away from not using RSS much anymore. And I find that I'm just going to the, the sources that I know that I love to go to to get my information. If I you know, want to read some context about a particular Apple story, I'm going to go over to Macworld or Daring Fireball or pop over to Marco's site. If I want, want a fun tip or trick, you know, I'll, I'll go to Mac Sparky. I've got you know, those in my Mac folder, and that's it. And I don't need much more than that because I find that it's going to be redundant. I'm going to see if you do a Google search for half of these stories out there, you're going to see a thousand just redundant stories. Um, you know, may jump over to iMore for some great, you know, uh, maybe some great rumors and, and some thought on some, you know, the iWatch rumors and those sorts of things. For the most part, though, I've kind of slid away from RSS feeds and that, I'm using just sort of folders now on my on my browser. Yeah, that's a common theme that people are saying, look, you know, Twitter is good enough. I don't right. need and, and people feel this this mental weight of having an RSS feed with a badge on it that says, you know, 10,000 unread articles. And right. I haven't given up on RSS yet, but I feel that really part of the solution is is really scaling back the number of sites that you follow. And yeah, I think uh, I think technology is changing our brains, and I think you know it can be a scapegoat, right? I think it, technology can be a scapegoat for anything, right? Lack of focus, lack of time, low quality personal relationships, you know, lazy children who are putting on weight sitting in front of the computer all day. 
um, you know, the, the case can be made for all of these sort of cause and effects uh, because of our addiction to technology. And I think sometimes it's really important to maybe, you know, speed up your life by just picking the sources you know you can rely on. And then, you know, I end up speeding up a little bit more by putting them into my app. But often I'll sit back and, and read a nice long Instapaper article. I like to read books long form, sit down and, you know, with my iPad and not speed read it. Um, so I find that I've just been weeding out my my RSS feed because I don't know about you, Katie, but when I launch like Reader for the first time, and I almost kind of dread it because I feel like it's another inbox. It's a beautiful app, and I can save it right out to Instapaper, any articles that I want to read. But I almost feel like it's a it's another job. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's like that's, that's why I was talking about that, that overhead. You feel like you've got this weight on you. It's like, oh, I haven't cleared out my Instapaper yet. Oh, I haven't cleared out Reader yet. And it's not fun anymore. Right. And uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, the and giving up on RSS is, a, is one way to deal with that. My way of dealing with this kind of stuff, and it's a theme in my life constantly because I'm running too close to the edge. You know, like when you run, when you're a little kid and you run too hard and you just fall on your face? Right. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing that in my life sometimes because I'm really running two careers at once and trying to be a good dad and the other things in my life. So uh, I'm always running. And if something gets out of whack, if I have a case that goes to trial and I don't expect it to go to trial or if something gets delayed on a book I'm writing or whatever, all of a sudden all the pieces just fall apart because, right. you know, I've got everything right now. Wait. And what I've what it has taught me is that I have to be very careful about commitments, not only to other people, but to myself. So when I have an RSS feed, it's going to be something I really love, or it's not going to be in there. And, and as a result, I think it's easier for me, but that's something that's been a tough lesson for me the last couple of years. And I find that Twitter has, like you said, become my RSS feed. I'll go through my politics folder and I'll read the, the, the smart journalists I follow in, in politics and some of the news sources. And if I want to read it and read quick later, uh, you know, the, the great thing about what, I'm, what, I'm, what I love about the app and what we've been able to do is I'm able to save it right from TweetBot, you know, right to Pocket or Instapaper. And, you know, then I can read it in, in Instapaper. Or if I know I need to get through a bunch of these things, and I, I know because we've we've teamed up with them, I'm able to launch Read Quick and, and get through it quickly. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's what I do. That's my saving mechanism now. Um, and I just I go right through Twitter on you know my iPhone or my iPad, and boom, you know, save out, save out, save out. These five articles on the sequester. That's what I'm going to read this afternoon. All right, I want to talk to you about. When you're sitting on the desk and the red light is on, how you use your iPad effectively without looking like somebody who's looking at their iPad all day. But before we do that, let's talk about our next sponsor, which is Daisy Disc. And I was telling Clayton before the show starts, I've got a 16-year-old who's on the video team at her high school. She does the morning news and makes movies. And I have our family iMac that has a whopping 256, 256 gigabyte SSD in it. So we have a constant battle in our house over having enough space when dad sits down to record Mac power users to record a show. And I would not be able to do it if it wasn't for Daisy Disk. So Daisy Disk is really a superior disk management app. You can get it in the uh, in the app store for the Mac. It's gorgeous. It works with this series of concentric circles that shows where you've got 
uh, data stored on your hard drive, and it makes it very easy for you to drill down and find big blocks of data that don't need to exist there, something that you can maybe move off to an external drive or even better yet, just delete it. Um, it finds big files and lets you trash them right there. Uh, I find that I am in this app at least every couple of weeks because we're always managing this disk. And I don't think I'm alone. There's a lot of people out there with SSDs and their laptops and increasingly their iMacs and they need to manage storage. So uh, Daisy Disk is the solution for that. Now it used to be $20 when I bought it, it was 20. I thought it was a good deal then. Now it's $10. So uh, it's even a better deal. So head over to the Mac App Store and pick up a copy of Daisy Disk. And I think you're not gonna regret it. Um, Katie, you were telling me you're using Daisy Disk quite a bit these days as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've got this MacBook Air with this 256 gig SSD in it, and I'm starting to do more and more with projects on this MacBook Air. I mentioned that I'm doing these photo projects for my grandparents, where I my iPhoto library is starting to really balloon up. I've got all these photo books on here. I'm doing some slideshow projects, and then sometimes I have a tendency to forget about these Mac Power users recordings that we do and. You know, we're generating probably five to eight gigabytes of audio files a, a, a week. And, you know, I'll sit down kind of to record, too, and be like, hmm, how did where did my where did my disk space go? And, yep, Daisy Disk is what will tell you at a glance. Well, and the thing is, managing disk storage is kind of like a chore, you know, going back to the discussion we had a few minutes ago. But Daisy Disk actually makes it kind of fun, and it's it's animated and, and gorgeous and you know, it's just the kind of app that I think us as Mac users can appreciate. And I know the developers spend a lot of time tweaking it and making it just right for us. And I would, uh, I'd recommend going and getting it, frankly. Uh, if you have any sort of disk storage management issue, this is the app for you. If you do get it and uh, you love it, let them know that you heard about it from us at Mac Power Users. So, so Clayton, you get up on the you get up on the stage to do your show. And this is something that I have trouble with because whenever I'm in front of people, uh, like I don't even want to use the little uh, Apple remote app to advance slides because I don't want to be looking down at my iPhone while I'm talking. Um, how do you manage to use your iPad as your source while you're up there and not look like a guy just looking at his iPad all day? I think the key is bullet points. <clears throat> you know, when you're first starting out in the news business, you I think you try to become something you're not, I think. And Certainly, you can see this among you can see this among reporters, sort of young, maybe uh, green reporters out in the field. That uh, you know, the tendency is to try to memorize. And the worst thing I think you can do is to memorize word for word what you're going to you know deal with. So I just make bullet points about a story, and uh, you know, it's never a problem. Someone taught me years ago that it's never a bad thing to look down. That if you're in the middle of a news story, breaking news, and you've got notes coming in, and you've got information breaking, and you, you know th this particular building is up in flames, and now we have this information from the sheriff's department, or uh, some you know all hell's breaking loose in Iran, and you've got this coming into the desk from the AP, and you've got to be able to go on the air with that information. And you know if I've got it on Twitter, glancing down at my iPad with some breaking news coming in, you know people understand that. And there's there's like sort of a human connection for people to be able to glance and get more information about something. It's those people, though, that look down and just start reading. That's why you should never have full text, <laughs> because then you just start reading. Yeah. And it's very it's very difficult to go back to bullet points. So I love public speaking and I've been doing it for years. And so 
you know, I look at it as uh, similar to that, and I have just a few set bullet points for an hour speech or something like that. If I'm, you know, have to do that, I'll just glance down and see where I am, and I know the gist of it because if you know the material, as you do, then you don't have to worry about getting lost because you can always fill it with something else that you that you forgot to mention, or you can you can fluff it out a little bit. I think that also goes back to your preparation in that you took the time to dictate or prepare all this stuff. Um, I find the same thing with like even just preparing a keynote uh, means I rarely need keynote slide notes because I spent so much time laboring over it. But by the time I give it, it's it's second nature. Right. Yeah, I think you you know the material and, you know, it's a little bit different. Like when I get get up to give a speech or if I'm invited to a college to do something, I uh, you know, I, I, I'm there because, well, they may know who I am, but I'm there because I want to bring, provide some real value for them, uh, during the, this particular speech in the news. It's different because I've got to get the who, what, why, where, and how, how out of a story for you. And I also want to try to do it in a way that's conversational and tell it to you. Like I'd tell it to my best friend, you, you know, you're not going to believe what this guy did. I'm not going to go in with some boring, you know, opening headline with something when I'm just ad-libbing something. I want to explain it to you like I'd want to explain it to my wife Yeah. Um, to make that connection, make that personal connection. And oftentimes, I'm just relying on Evernote with some bullet points. So uh, so you've got Evernote open on on, on stage. I, I keep calling it stage. I guess that's really not on set, right? Yeah, on set. Yeah, it's kind of a little stage. Yeah. But so, yeah. You know, whatever. So you've got, you've got Evernote open and then you just got, what, a notebook for the show? Yeah, I have a notebook that, uh, you know, perhaps it's talking points. So, you know, we may have our news headlines will come out of that. Then we'll have something that everyone's talking about that day. So we'll have a few stories that everyone's sort of talking about around the water cooler kind of thing. And I'll, you know, have that folder with some notes I've made. But very often we have a news wheel that gets sent out that uh, our producer before the show will. This is the four hours. This is our Bible for the show. You know, it's our roadmap, if you will. And very often, I'll just open my email, open the, the news wheel that he sent out 10 minutes before the show. And I already know what's in it, but at least I have it right in front of me, not on a piece of paper, but right in my hand on my iPad. And he's put hyperlinks right in there to articles that we're going to discuss. So very often, I'm sort of scrolling. As we're moving through stories, I'm sitting there scrolling on my email on my iPad. And then if there's a story that he stuck in there that maybe I'm not familiar with or this is new – it, uh, he sent out. I'm just launching the hyperlink right from there. It's pulling up the news article, and maybe one of my co-hosts in the middle of making a point, and I'm sitting there reading a news article for the first time, and then able to. to, to so a lot of it happens on the fly. Yeah, you got to be fast. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's really interesting. So, so, but the the uh, so using the email. Uh, I guess my question I keep coming back to is where does Evernote fit in this while you're while you're on um, on set. Yeah, it's honestly, it it kind of changes every day. You know, some days there's going to be a very complex story um, with a lot of numbers and facts and figures. And um, and uh, for, for instance, we did a story just this morning. It wasn't terribly complicated, but there were some numbers I wanted to make sure I got right. And it had to do with Hollywood using um, providing tax or not Hollywood um, states providing tax breaks for for Hollywood studios to come in and shoot films in their states. Yeah. So a number of states do this, like Virginia uh, shot Lincoln there, and they gave you know millions of dollars to the filmmakers to come into the state, thinking that it's going to provide jobs. Uh, 3,000 jobs will stay in Virginia permanently. It turns out they come in and they actually leave, and there's no jobs. Um, 
But, uh, you know, with that money that they spent, they could have hired 23,000 teachers or paid a salary for, you know, so I wanted all of these numbers. I didn't want to arbitrarily be throwing out numbers. And so the, the breakdown of all of that lived in an Evernote for me um, as one particular talking point on this Hollywood story. And all of those facts and figures were right there. I could just glance down and and uh, I make the font nice and big because I try not to wear glasses on the air just because it looks odd and get nice glare on my lenses. So so with my poor eyesight as I get older, I'm, I'm, that's another great thing. I'm able to increase the font to the to the size that I need it to be. Where I, you know, you can't do that with paper unless you're using a giant black sharpie on a on a on a you know giant poster board like yeah. David Letterman uses. I, you know, I uh, just a, a rant on that. For most of my life, I've been a very tiny text guy. I I always liked those really small fonts, and I don't know, the last couple of years, it's just not working for me anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you, it, it's like the people that smoke, or they 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 keep bumming a cigarette off of people. But they're in denial that they're a smoker, so they, they never buy their own pack. Yeah. That's what it is for me. Like, <laughs> I started upping the font size. You know, I look over at my wife's iPad while she's reading a book in Kindle, and it's like the tiniest font. You know, you need like, you, know, you need a magnifying glass to see it. And I've got like the, the adult font now, giant. Yeah. I, I went to the, uh, the, uh, the um, store the other day at Costco in California. I don't know if they have it on the East Coast or not. It's like yeah. a big yeah, warehouse store. It. And the, um, and they've got the reading glasses there. And so I said, oh, I'll just take a look. I put some on and I looked at the text and I just went, damn, damn. <laughs> then I bought yeah, three pair. It's so sad because, I mean, if you look at that low font on Evernote and Kindle and even Reader and some of these other great you know, reading apps, oh, they look so great that small. And I have like sort of aspirational reading. Yeah. I'd love to read it that small. And then I just have to up it because I just it's it's useless. Yeah. Yeah. Well. That's that's really interesting though, because see, I would think that you would have like an outline or or like an omni outliner kind of situation, but really, what you're doing is you're you're preparing these notes in Evernote, throwing it over there, and working with a combination of email, the browser, and Evernote to keep this information coming at you while the bullets are flying. Yeah, you know that's actually a great idea. I never really thought to use um, even like a brainstorming app, uh, like a mind mapping app, you know, have the nugget of the story in the center and be able to build sort of the facts and figures out from there, like a web yeah. might be a, a great way for me to do it too. Um, I just, I'm, I've been such an outliner since I was a kid and that's how I did it in school, whether it was Roman numerals or not. Uh, I just have always been an outliner. So the title of the story at the top for me and in Evernote, you know, you've got great bullet point, just tap that little bullet point form and I'll put you know six or seven bullet points for the story, and then I move on to the next title of the uh, the talking point or news article that I need to know about, um, and I just add more bullet points and go from there. I can put in links, I can do you know article links and different things like that right in there. Yeah, well, I, I, whatever works. I mean, I think Katie and I always talk about this. She's really very linear. She likes the outlining where I like the I kind of hectic uh, mind maps. So, do you, Katie, do you use Evernote for outlining, or is there a better outliner app? When I'm doing a pure outline and it's for me and it's it's something that's going to be pretty complex, Omni Outliner on the on the iPad or on the i on the um, yeah. Mac is what I use. But if it's if it's I'm taking quick notes and I want those notes in Evernote, then I I'll use the Evernote outline. It's fine enough for for simple purposes of notes. But if it's something yeah. complex, if I'm if I'm outlining a motion or a project or something that gets really detailed, then I'll I'll start at Omni Outliner. So, Clayton, we've talked a lot about your work setup and the, the things that you do. I want to talk a little bit about 
your home tech life? Because <laughs> you, you've got kind of a unique situation and that you, you've got two geeks in the house. Uh, you yeah. and, and your wife, they may not be aware. Natalie Morris, formerly Natalie Del Conte, who was very involved in tech news reporting and CNET and all of that. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the tech that you use in your house and with your family. So before we get there, though, I want to talk about our uh, next sponsor for this episode, and that is 1Password. And 1Password is the app that uh, I keep trying to get everybody in my office to to use a solution like 1Password. Just this week, my assistant asked me, do you know what my password is for LexisNexis? And I said, no, you know, I don't. But if you'll tell me what it is once, I'll be able to tell you what it is forever because I can put it in this app and store it. And, well, how do you remember all this stuff? And I said, well, there's an app for that. And 1Password will safely and securely store all of your passwords, all of your secure notes, all of your software uh, licenses, any of that information that you need to keep uh, behind a strong, secure 1Password that is all you have to remember. And the idea behind 1Password is you not only use it to store all of this information, although that's a good place to start, but you actually use it to generate these passwords for sites so that you don't use it to use that same password over and over and over again. Because ultimately, that's how my secretary figured out what her password was, because she says, well, it's either this or this or this or this, because I use the same four passwords over and over and over again. That's not a good solution. (laughs) Oh, and how dangerous is that? And it's so funny whenever they ask me for my password for something, what, what is your password for that e-filing portal? Oh, it's A4Q3ZB, blah, blah, you know, I don't, that's obviously made up. I don't even know. But I, I couldn't tell you, but I can go look it up in one password. And so it's really easy to generate safe, secure websites or safe, secure passwords for all of your websites. And they say, well, how do you remember all of that stuff? Well, you don't have to because one password will do that for you. And it's not only available on the Mac. It's available on the PC as well. If, if you've got a slide back and forth between Mac and PC, you can get a bundled deal through their website that will give you access to both copies. But it's available on all of your mobile devices, whether it's um, iPhone, whether it's iPad, which is probably what listeners of this group are looking for. They've also got Android apps that will allow you to access your devices. The magic juice that makes this all sync is Dropbox, although they are introducing iCloud Sync in version four, and they've got that up and running on the new version four for iOS that's going now. So all of this stuff stays syncs up in the background. So you never have to worry about not having a password anywhere. Uh, And it's just wonderful. And the more people I feel like I I really feel compelled to educate people about one password and about the dangers of using the same password over and over and over again, and just sit down and say, well, what happens if somebody figures out that you use your dog's name over and over again, or maybe your dog's name with your year of birth as your super secure password for your bank account and your email address and the place where you get your photos printed online and all of those other services. If people get that one, if they get that password, they're just going to go try it with your email address in place after place after place. And how dangerous is that? So put a stop to that, educate your family members, start working with a solution like one password because you really can't afford not to. It's only a matter of time. You know, how have we been hearing about these, these breaches? I just got, you know, Facebook phishing spam uh, this morning, several of them that looked very official, you know, and all of a sudden click on that. Boom. Your Facebook account is, is compromised. Use Facebook to log into all of these other sites using the Facebook authentication. Well, you've just given them access to all of those other sites as well, uh, which is why I, I try not to do that. And I always use one password to create unique logins for everything. So, yeah. You know, and our listeners are really at the sharp end of the stick. They're they're the smart people that are trying to do these right habits. 
Um, and I always, always like to add to that is if you're listening to the show and you're already using one password, find someone in your life that needs it and share it with them. Because uh, I, while I don't tell people to buy Macs, I do tell them to buy one password because I think it makes such a big difference. I mean, and the other end of this thing is, is the services like Twitter just a few weeks ago had an issue where a bunch of their passwords got compromised. It's not thing you do. So you want to make sure you've got unique passwords for each website. So if some company fails you, that it doesn't hurt you somewhere else. You can find more information about 1Password over at onepassword.com, and we want to thank them for their continued support of Mac Power users. So, Clayton, when we were getting on this call a little bit earlier, we were talking about, you're like, oh, hang on, I've got to shut off this Drobo on my desk because I'm getting a hum from it. And, oh, well, well, that's okay. Well, we've got the Drobo downstairs that we're using to my my kid's streaming Avengers to his mom's iPad on that. And I was just (laughs) getting this mental picture of what must your house be like, man? It's it's a cluster, let me be honest. Um, it's not, you know, I try to do it as invisibly as possible. I mean, that's sort of my goal because I, I to me, the, the technology that I love, I should be able to hide it in some sort of bookshelf so I don't see it, right? I don't want wires everywhere. It drives me nuts. So, you know, even just starting with 1Password, I, I mean, you guys convinced me ah, maybe last year to start using 1Password, and it's changed everything for how I can interact with my, you know, different computers with credit card information and everything. So so thank you guys for that. Um, but that's been something that's been on all of my machines. So upstairs in my home office, I've got the new 27-inch iMac that I got uh, maxed it out. Um, so I got the, the one terabyte fusion drive and I went back and forth on this because I really got into photography over the past year. So my office is filled with like camera gear and whatnot, but I wanted a machine that could have some of the storage space locally, but was fast enough to handle Photoshop, Lightroom, um, you know, iPhoto and doing different things, whether I'm using ScreenFlow to record a screencast, um, and, and, you know, put up a little review of the Mophie juice bag, whatever it happens to be. I want things to move quickly and I don't want the, I don't want the, the spinny ball, the beach ball of death, uh, anymore. And I was running a 20, uh, 2009 iMac. So I'm connected to, uh, a new, uh, Drobo 5D, which I love. And so I've got that over Thunderbolt. Now yeah, my that's entire the Thunderbolt connection. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't care about the one terabyte. Um, initially before Apple rolled out the configurations and I was at the Apple event, they didn't say what the SSD configuration would be. Now I, I guessed that it would be similar to what they'd done in the past and also what they did on the laptops, that there would be a 256. Um, you know, would go up from there, right? You could go to all the way up to 700 or however the breakdown was. And my plan was to get the lowest SSD and then just use the Drobo over Thunderbolt. Well, they didn't go that route. They, they rolled it out so if you wanted a pure SSD configuration, you had to go up to 700, and that's ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So I went with the Fusion Drive, which has been fantastic, and I looked at all the specs, testing obviously tons of different things, and it is right on par. I mean, you look at Macworld's benchmark test for it, it is right on par with a pure SSD, and in fact, in some areas, it's faster. But for what I needed it to do, it's perfect. It's very, um, it's very clever what they've done. Yeah. I wish they had that when I bought this iMac because this problem I have, I would not face. You know, Right. Yeah, it, it is really fantastic. So I have my entire Lightroom library. And I was in New Zealand a week ago. I said I, I shot about 3,500 photos. All of those are on the Drobo over a Thunderbolt connection. 
so my Lightroom library is stored there. My iPhoto library is stored there. My iTunes library is all stored on the Drobo, and there's no waiting at all anymore. Uh, it's fantastic. And for years, I had a four-bay Drobo, the old one, you know, the loud one that was slow. Yeah. And I still had my iTunes library on there, and I'd wait a few seconds for it to kick on and, you know, had to wait, 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 wait. Um, now there's no waiting. I'm able to edit photos right in Lightroom, uh, Photoshop, whatever it happens to be, um, and it's fantastic. So I'm in love with the Drobo 5D because the speed with which I can keep all of those files on those hard drives, expandable. Um, you know, I've got, like I said, my entire Lightroom library on there. And to be able to edit and process photos like that is pretty incredible, where I don't have to rely on my main iMac for that anymore. And if any of the drives fail, I don't have to worry about losing all of these photos that I just spent weeks shooting and, and post-processing and, and all of those other things. So all of our important child videos and uh, all of that stuff is stored there. And my wife and I have a shared Drobo FS that we have networked downstairs. And she's always nagging me about getting... And I mean to say nagging. Love wow. you, honey. You're, you're um, in trouble now, brother. She's always like, honey, where are those Halloween photos? Can you, we, we did the, all the photos of the kids. Can, where are they? And then like three months later, she'll finally convince me to like do something about it, you know? So I, we, we did this and I'm able to, she's like, just put them on the Drobo. And so now she has access in the public folders. Um, so she can go in there, grab whatever one she wants to make Christmas cards with and whatever else. So they're all there. We have that sort of shared space now. Now, where do you guys keep your iTunes library? Well, we have separate iTunes libraries. Um, okay. We're, we're cozy, but not that cozy. Yeah. Um, so my massive one terabyte iTunes library um, is on my Drobo. So I use a Sonos, and I had to update that last night with the latest software from Sonos. So I've got Sonos scattered around the house, and I love it, you know, being able to not only play uh, Songza, which is a, a, you know, a great service that I love for music, uh, but at you know, dinner, if I want to listen to a specific album, that sort of thing, I can you know, just jump in, and it's all being streamed right from my, right from my Drobo. Uh, one of the things you have to make sure you're doing, though, is making sure that those songs are not living in iCloud because Sonos won't recognize them if they're just iCloud files. They've got to be downloaded physically for them to obviously be, to be streamed over your home uh, Sonos machine. So that all of that, and then my any movies or, or videos or anything I buy through iTunes live on the Drobo as well. It's interesting. Um, I know some people who don't have all their music downloaded because of one reason or another, they're, they're happy with the iCloud um, streaming. And it makes me nervous. I want to have at least one drive in the house that's got the entire library on it. Before I got rid of my 2009 iMac that had the uh, spinning hard, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the optical drive, I went through and uh, my big CD collection thousands of CDs. I went through every one of them and just checked in iTunes first to see if I'd ever imported it. And boy, there were hundreds that I didn't. So yeah. man, that op that optical drive got a lot of use in the days before I got my new iMac. Um, that way that they're all there. I put them in the closet. I don't even have to see the physical media anymore and it's gone. So yeah. I, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm a little nervous or leery of an iMac without an optical drive because I, I can see dropping it from a laptop, but it seems like a desktop machine, an optical drive, comes in pretty handy. I don't know. I never use it. I, the only time I started using it was almost in the later stages of its life when I decided I was going to go through all those CDs to put them in iTunes. I never use it. I, all the software I download, I just had to download uh, Photoshop uh, CS6. Um, 
new new copy of Bridge, Adobe Bridge. I mean, all of that stuff I'm downloading. I, I can't think of a time, you know, that I that I need it anymore. Um, maybe someone special gives me. You know, I'm a big I'm a big Sting fan. I love I love Miles Davis, so I got all these box sets of like Miles Davis music, and I could see that, but that's all burned now into my iTunes library. So other than digging that stuff out just to read the the great liner notes and the great books that come in those box sets, I just I just don't see the need for the physical media anymore. You know what? You and I have to have a separate conversation one day offline about 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 jazz. Oh, sweet! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge I'm a huge jazz fan. Yeah, I met Miles Davis at the Playboy Jazz Festival when oh. I was a long time ago. It was back when he had his red trumpet. You know? Oh, yeah. What his fusion days? Is that uh, yeah, was, yeah, uh, yeah? The, uh, here's one for you. My son's name is he is Miles. So yeah, I was thinking I was thinking that when you said it, but you know, yeah. If I had go. a son, I would have been tempted to name him Thelonious, but my wife would have never allowed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't name all of our kids our passions. Yeah, exactly. Clayton, tell me a little more about this Sonos station, because we've talked about it. We've had a a little bit as a substitute for iTunes or maybe not a substitute. Maybe substitute is not the right word. Maybe substitute for AirPlay is the right word. But I don't have one and I don't think David has one. What exactly does it do? Can you give me kind of the beginner's version of Sonos? Because people who have them love them. Right. And so if I launch the desktop software for Sonos, there's so many great partnerships that they've come up with. You know, I just updated the software last night. So you've got RDO built in, you've got Pandora built in, Last FM, radio, just regular tune-in radio, your full music library, uh, Sirius XM, satellite radio. So we got a Sirius um, account in our car. So, you know, I like to listen to Howard Stern and uh, listen to some news stations throughout the day, some politics radio, and just some great 80s radio stations. Songza is now a partner. Stitcher, so I can listen to podcasts um, right from the Stitcher app. Um, Spotify, all of that stuff is built into the software now. Plus, you can add your own line in. So if you want to put an auxiliary cable right into your Sonos, you can. They've got docking stations, uh, which I don't have, but, you know, you can plug your iPod right into your Sonos. And so it's room-filling sound. I mean, I love the sound of a Sonos. It really is great, great audio quality, especially for jazz. You get some of that deep bass, really, really great audio quality. They have the smaller ones now, too. They have the, I always get them confused. There's like the the, the Sonos Play 1 and the Play 2, I think. I get them mixed up, the numbers. But one is smaller, um, and one is its own Wi-Fi hub. So you can, you know, you plug it right in, and you don't need to worry about it being connected to a router. Um, and other ones, you need to make sure that you're 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 connected to a Wi-Fi source um, directly. So great, you can put them in all different zones in the house. So we've got one set up in the TV room, the kitchen, and my office. And you can group them all together. So if you've got a big party, you know, you just can group, hit the group buttons and add all of the speakers at once. If you've got a barbecue going on, and some of them are portable. So sometimes I'll find I'll just pick one up and move it, um, which is great. And you know, you can set playlists so I can go through and grab a whole bunch of jazz. I can go through and grab a whole bunch of Steely Dan stuff and create an 80s playlist and just create a queue. And then for that party that I know we're going to have, I just hit play and then it's just streaming all night. Um, you know, or I could just pick Pandora and not even worry about building a playlist. So I love it. And, you know, I, the one in my office I have set up to an airport uh, express. So I, it, it, you know, when they updated that with the AirPlay feature, 
Yeah. So, you so from and, your phone, you can just play directly to it. Yeah, it just shows up as a Sonos. You just label it that way and shows up as an AirPlay feature. And I'll come into the office sometimes if I'm listening to a podcast. I don't want to go through the rigmarole of opening the desktop software. I'll just hit AirPlay. Just boom, it's right there on the Sonos. It's it's an interesting product because it exists at a time where our media is digital. So it you know usually you would go buy a stereo with a head unit and a CD player and all the pieces like a component stereo system. And as I understand it, this is like a wireless speaker system that just plugs into whatever digital stuff you use. Right. Yeah, and you can pretty much use anything with it. Um, and again, for a long time, I was plugging in an iPod directly with a line in source for it. Which you know, which works great, but you know, to be able to use the iPhone app and the iPad app, it's really a really nice solution. You can sit down and create all sorts of playlists right from the app, so you don't even have to do it on the desktop software. And I find very often we sit down to dinner, and I'll say, you know, I'll ask my son, who's you know two and a half, I'll say, what do you want to listen to tonight at dinner? And he says, I want to listen to Miles Davis. And I said, all right. And I launched Pandora, and I hit my Miles Davis uh, radio station in Pandora, and we're off and running. Well, that's awesome. How yeah. old is he? Two and a half? Two and a half, yeah. You are raising him right, brother. <laughs> when, when my kids were little, I used to play the John Coltrane Ballads album. You know how they have oh. all this goofy little kid music to make him go to sleep? Right. Uh, not me, man. John Coltrane <laughs> Ballads. That's that's a tip you can take to the bank. Right there. <laughs> Let's try that. Yeah, it's a great album. Anyway. Uh, so... What about your TV? Does it does that hook up to your TV system as well? Or like if you want to put your TV through your surround sound or whatever, is that a different set of speakers? Yeah, I've got a Bose surround sound system um, that I've been testing out, and I really, really love it. It's um, I think it's the Cinemate series. And I've been, I've been obsessed with getting a surround sound system for a while. So I've tested out a few of the different sound bars, um, these review units. And, um, you know, I was not a big fan of the Bose sound bar. I tested that out and um, I just, it didn't sound good. It really didn't. I was not impressed with it. And then tested out the Vizio sound bar. And that, surprisingly, was much better uh, for much cheaper. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. But uh, I'm testing out the actual full 5.1 surround sound with subwoofer. And that's fantastic right now. So you can, you know, put the Apple TV as a source in there. It only holds up to three sources. So if you've got like a PlayStation or a Roku box or something else, it can only do three at the moment, as far as I know, unless there's some workaround that I don't know about. And, you know, watching football or watching a, a movie over the Apple TV, it just works great. Um, so that's the setup I have in, in the... Uh, in the living room, but we could have, you know, one of the Sonos components in there. So if we just want to sit down by the fire and read a book and not have TV on, you know, maybe put on some jazz, uh, put on some music right there through the Sonos in the TV room. Uh, but no, I don't have, I don't have the Sonos connected to the TV. Um, just feel like the, the speaker on the TV would be fine for that. You know, I've been I've been looking for a, a better speaker setup for my TV because right now I've got you know, the speakers in my flat screen are, are pretty poor. So whenever I I watch a movie or something, I, I want to connect some external speakers and the ones I've got require a big amp. And I've been thinking about a sound bar, but the reviews have always been hit and miss. And then Sonos I just saw is now coming out with the sound bar. So I thought, well, maybe that's an uh. interesting time to step into that Sonos world. But I hear that can be a very expensive habit. Yeah, they can be. And again, I, I, I forgot about the Sonos soundbar coming. I haven't tested that yet, so I don't know and I can't speak to that. But I do know that the Vizio soundbar is inexpensive. I think it's $299. It may even be $199. Don't quote me at the moment. But, right. Um, 
but it is, and it, it works really, really well. And it was really impressed with it. I got to see it at, uh, at a, a Pepcom event in New York, um, and talked with the Vizio guys and, and got a full demo there. And then, you know, doing some of my own testing, it's just been great. I was really impressed. I couldn't believe that it sounded better than the Bose. You know, we get so much hype about Bose, um, but it really, it really is uh, top quality. So now, does a soundbar replace an entire 5.1 system? No, it doesn't. But it can certainly enhance it. Certainly, yeah. when these these flat panel televisions are on the wall, look, the speakers are either shooting down, right, because they they want to kind of keep the the, the, the lines very thin yeah. on these TVs. And you know, I was just out at CES, and you know, these things are like wafer thin. I mean, you can almost eat them at communion. They're so thin. Um, so, you know, speakers are like non-existent on these things. Um, and yes, yeah, they can sound good in a pinch, but ultimately it's like the iMac, right? I mean, if you look at the new iMac, it's got these speakers shooting down the bottom and certainly it's good. You know, it sounds, it sounds good, but it's not going to sound as good as a dedicated standalone uh, speaker system. Yeah. Hey, let's take a break real quick and talk about uh, a sponsor, and that is a Transporter. Uh, you can find it at filetransporter.com. This is a really great device. It's it's really a new kind of, of backup and offsite storage. I guess that's the way I look at it. Uh, you can take this device, and you can put a laptop-sized hard drive in it, and you can plug it into the Internet anywhere in the world and have access to it from your Mac or your PC. Uh, so what that means is that, that problem we all have of finding a way to store data off-site uh, is solved. And it doesn't require a Dropbox account where you've kind of got the Dropbox size limitations and the fact that everything's in the cloud. This is storage that you control, and and it solves the problem for you. So a good example how I use it is I have plugged my transporter in at my sister-in-law's house. And now when I go through Aperture and I have my golden photos, you know, I go through and the really great family photos – I've got a, a system that now saves that to a folder and then puts it into my file transporter. And that stuff goes over the Internet and gets stored on that hard drive at her house. And the problem that you used to have when you tried to do these off-site um, hard drive storage things is you'd have the drive there. Then you'd have to drive back and get it and, and bring it home and then back it up again, then take it back. Or you'd have to have two drives and swap them. It was just a big pain. Where now everything gets backed up immediately. I really love this workflow, and I feel so much better about my photos now. They're, I feel like they're safer because they're not at my house. I've got a place for them. I've got a couple other things I back up there, too, that are like really key data. If my house burned down or if a crook came in here and took everything, including my Drobos and all the other stuff I have, I know this data would be safe and I'd be able to recover it. I think it's a really great product. And guess what? They now have a discount code for Mac Power Users listeners. So if you go to filetransporterstore.com and buy one and you type in MPU, you're going to get 10% off. And I think it's just a a great deal. And I would recommend getting one of these products. I'm going to buy another one and I'm going to use it for my work. And I'm going to do the same thing with our client files because I'm a little leery about putting legal client files up in something like Dropbox. Uh, but I could put a storage, uh, a transporter at my home, plug it into my ethernet box, and I could make a regular backup to my home system and the same thing happens if everything went wrong at the office i'd have this backup of these files um you know i in a time when we thought we kind of had the cloud thing figured out the transporter showed up with a solution to a problem that nobody had answered and i think it's really something worth checking out we, we got to meet these guys at macworld uh they've got a real deal product they're shipping now and people are, are loving these things 
Absolutely. I've, I've got one as well, David, and I've, I'm thinking about picking up a second one so that I can either put it off site, whether it's at the office or at somebody else's house to do this backup. And I know they're working on an iOS app. We saw a preview of it, a special sneak preview at Macworld. And I, I, I just absolutely can't wait. So uh, thanks to Transporter and Connected Data for their support of the show. And uh, folks, that you, just go check it out at filetransporter.com. And, and there are dozens of ways that this can be used that we haven't even come up with on the show. And if you think of a unique way that we haven't covered that this can be used, um, you know, ping us back. And uh, we'd like to include those as well. Yeah, I mean, like I didn't talk about sharing. It does a great job of sharing files as well. We could have multiple people accessing that data. But the uh, the offsite photo storage to me is such a big deal. And this scratches that itch perfectly. Very cool. All right. So, by the way, while we, you were doing that ad spot, David, I, I went and looked up the Visio soundbar. And I think they've just got one. The only one I could find was the VSB 200. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's 100 bucks. It's a hundred. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Let me double check to make sure that's the right one. I think you're right. Yeah. You're actually right. It, it is. Um, this is the one. Yeah. I, it's only a hundred bucks. Yeah. And it's available on Amazon. I've got Amazon prime that, that could be sitting on my, on my TV in yeah, three the, days. The Sonos is, it seems like a really great product, but I mean, for me, because I, we've got an Apple TV and it's plugged into our stereo system, I've got the traditional stereo system that we've had for 20 years or so, but it still sounds great. Um, you know, when I want to listen to jazz at dinner, I just stream it through the Apple TV to the stereo. I don't even have the TV turned on, you know, because the Apple TV yeah. in essence acts as an airport express. I guess the, the real benefit of the Sonos is that if you want to have it all through the house, you right. can do that. And that's not something that would be easy. I guess it's it's possible with the Airport Express set up and a bunch of, of speakers, but I think you'd almost be better off just to get the Sonos system at that point. Yeah. And I think you hit on something there. I just never liked having my TV on just to listen to music. To me, it seems like, oh, I'm going to burn out my TV. But the fact that you get to keep yours off. Yeah. I always know like my parents, when they have like a party at the house that they're, you know, what they would do is go to like station 999 and put on the, the pop station on their TV. Yeah. And just let their flat screen, you know, run all day. And I thought, ah, that's just a waste, you know, it's yeah. such a power, you know, it's, it's just gobbling up power and it just seems like a waste. You know, you're watching this little thing on the screen and just, uh, you know, and you're listening through your TV speakers, but you, you've got a bit, much better setup than that. Well, I, you know, I, I do know a lot of people that just love their Sonos system, but uh, yeah. it's just not something I've, I've been really drawn to because mm-hmm. To the extent I need it, I've, I've got what I need. And I have, frankly, a pretty small house. So if I turn the stereo on, you can pretty much hear it everywhere. <laughs> and um, I bought a nice set of speakers for my iMac. I agree with you. The iMac sound is okay, but um, many years ago, I bought a set of Focals uh, for my iMac. And that basically can fill the whole upstairs just for my iMac, which is really nice. Yeah, now my iMac sits on top of a treadmill desk that I just I just put together. Yeah, we want to talk about that. <laughs> so, so this is crazy, yeah. So I was at Macworld talking to Lex Friedman, who's a big proponent of these treadmill discs. And he's telling me he's walking like 12 miles a day while he gets his work done. And I think that would be fantastic if I could do it. But part of me says, how on earth can I focus and do things when I'm, um, I've got this machine under me constantly, you know, driving my legs? So I've become sort of uh, – my wife and I become sort of obsessed with the quantified life. 
that she she was on Twitter I think last week talking about that and and I think uh, someone Dvorak was making fun of her for that but that's kind of I mean that's what it is right it's you've got a Fitbit in your pocket you've uh, you're tracking your calories using Lose It all of those things and you can take a look at this data and see how much weight you've lost how many steps you've taken when you were lazy uh, when you had the flu <laughs> I had pneumonia this summer and I can see when I lost like all this weight. Um, and how many steps I took was like next to zero. Yeah. And, you know, the science is in. I mean, I think the, um, what's that show, that new Brian Williams show, um, uh, 30 or Rock Rock Center? They yeah. had an interview a few weeks ago, and I think you can probably find it on their app. They have an app, actually, uh, where they interviewed the guy who sort of pioneered the research for standing and sitting and, and how much activity we should get during the day. And he actually, 10 years ago, created a treadmill desk. And, he never did anything with it. I think he sort of open sourced it, so he didn't have a patent on it. And so there are a couple of other Trek desks out there, uh, treadmill desks. So I got the Trek desk that goes over top of an existing treadmill. So I ordered a treadmill uh, from Amazon, and I got a really cheap one. It was made in the USA. It was like three hundred bucks, uh, relatively speaking. The other other ones are up to like a thousand and more. And I figured all I'm using it for is just walking, and walking at like one mile per hour or one point five. That's it. Yeah. And use the Trek desk above it, and I have my iMac on top of it, and I hop on, and I've got my you know Fitbit in my pocket, and I just go. And I'll be standing here post-processing photos for a while, and after an hour, I look down, I've already walked you know 4,000 steps, and I'm trying to hit my 10,000. And every, every day over the past week, I've been hitting upwards of eighteen to 20,000 steps. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And, um, and do, so do you find it, does it get in the way of working? Like, well, like when you're dictating or whatever. Well, I haven't yet. I'm still kind of working on this setup in here. And like I said, with the issue with my dictation on, on the iMac, I haven't been able to do that anyway. So, uh, but it's not, it's not, it's not that loud. It's too loud for me to do a podcast, but it's not too loud for me to take a <laughs> Th phone call. Thank you. Thank you for not using your treadmill <laughs> desk while recording this show. Because I tried to the, the other day, I said, I want to see if how this sounds. And of course it sounded terrible. Yeah. So. Uh, it's not too loud, uh, but, you know, but it's not, it's not interfering with that sort of, you know, sort of other stuff like that and making a phone call and just typing. I had to get the height just right. So I'm not getting carpal tunnel by doing something weird, um, but it's great. And I actually feel more aware of what I'm doing because I'm not sitting there. My legs aren't getting tired. I'm not sort of half falling asleep and just sort of clicking around aimlessly on Facebook or Google plus or something. I'm actually kind of focused on my task and it's here in front of me. And I feel like it's like Scotty, you know, in the engineering room on the Starship Enterprise. Like none of them are sitting down doing working on their computers. They're standing up. They're testing out levels on this engine and that. They're kind of walking around and you're alive. And that piece on 30 or, um, Rock Center, he said all the evidence is now uh, they, they've done this massive amount of research um, that he used to say years ago that all the research showed that if you got up in the morning and went to the gym for an hour, and then went to work and sat at your desk all day, you'd be fine, right? Because you got your exercise in first. And now all the evidence is that every hour of sitting, you need to get up and walk for at least 10 minutes. Um, otherwise, you're going to still have the same life expectancy as if you went to the gym at, you know, in the morning and didn't do anything all day. So that's yeah. why all the science shows us that construction workers and people who are out all, all day on their feet and walking live longer. Uh, so I just thought, how can I try this in my home office? And And it's been... It's been great so far. Now, how really, much time do you spend at your home office? Quite a bit. I mean, when I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm up here either 
you know, going through and preparing for the show or returning emails. And so I'm up here for hours at a time until a baby is crying, you know, uh, when I'm home and then, uh, you know, I'm up here working on blogging or, or, you know, editing a photo or something like that. So I'm spending quite a bit of time up here and, and better to be standing and walking slightly than sitting and, and killing myself. And my problem is I'm fidgety. I can't sit in a desk all day. So I, I actually built myself a standing desk years ago and I spend probably half my day there, but I'm not walking. I'm just standing there. And I, I yeah. also am a pacer, but you know, I don't just stand there either. I, I fiddle around and move around while I'm standing there. And I've always thought that's probably got some benefit, but I couldn't legitimately bring a standing desk into my day job office. I mean, it just wouldn't work. <laughs> I, I actually had dinner with an attorney last night who got a treadmill desk and is, is putting it in her office and drives her partner crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's because it's so loud or just, well, just because she says, you know, I go in to talk to you and you're just sitting. I, she said, I just turn around and walk out the door, but she does not meet with clients in her office anymore though. They have a conference room where they meet with clients. I, See, that'd be a good deterrent to keep people out of your office. Yeah, I just heard it. When I heard that, I'm like, wait a second. You mean people won't come in and talk to me if I have one? Right. <laughs> I was thinking about getting a treadmill and like finding a way to hook it to the TV. So the TV won't work unless it's moving. And, um, <laughs> like a hamster? Hey, yeah, that, exactly. that sounds like a job for some Wemos and some if this, then that. Yeah, I don't know. There must be something we could do. If there's a problem, I, gotta, I would I have, have a it. We- I have a Wemo set up on the desk in here too. So when I walk in, cause this is also our laundry room. My upstairs office is uh, also the, the, the laundry is kind of behind me down, yeah. down the hall a little bit. So my wife comes in with a, she loves laundry. She's like obsessed with it. And we do like cloth diapering for the kids. So there's always, there's always laundry and we got the Wemo set up in here attached to the lamp on my walking desk. She walks in with a, an armful of laundry clicks right on. Yeah. The motion sensor. It's great. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And she walks out and it turns off like five minutes later. Sometimes though, if I'm standing here or before when I used to sit at the desk and I'd sit, sit there, I knew I was so sedentary when the thing, the light would switch off on me because I was just sitting there not doing anything. So I knew that I was being lazy because the Wemo turned off because it didn't sense any motion at all. So yeah. I was like, I need to do something. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I'm really interested in this all of a sudden, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen in my life, but the, uh, but the idea of a treadmill desk, uh, you know, my, my big hang up is that I wouldn't be able to work as efficiently if I was walking. But, you know, what Lex said is, look, if it's one mile an hour, it's not going to be a problem. And then, like, I dictate all the time when I because I walk to lunch every day and I do that all the time. I use that little sonar recorder I was talking about. I'll dictate a day one entry or something else while I'm walking. So I guess why not while I'm sitting, you know, at home? Right. And if you've got a headset mic that you're using Dragon Dictation, then you don't have to do anything to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm interested in this. I, I'd like to hear from listeners that are doing this stuff, too. And on the, the subject of Wemo, I, it's, you know, they really are growing that product line. Now they've got the Wemo Motion and they've got the Wemo Baby Monitor. Um, I think we're kind of at, you know, new days here with the home automation stuff. It's getting a lot simpler for people to do it. Now that you've got iPhones to kind of be the brains of the operation, um, it's going to be a lot of fun to see where this goes in the next couple of years. Yeah. I used it for our Christmas lights this year and we were traveling for like a week and a half during Christmas. And so I didn't want all that climbing up on the ladder to go for naught. So 
I set the Christmas lights up on a uh, on a Wemo. So they were set to go off every night around 4.30 in the afternoon to turn on. And then around a little after midnight, they shut off, even if we were home or not. Oh, I beat you on that one. So I, uh, I hooked up the Christmas <laughs> lights to Wemo, and I set it up with an if this, then that rule, that when the sun sets at my uh, where I live, turn the lights on. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, you got you to gotta add if this, then that to Wemo, and then you're, it's just going to blow your world. Yeah. <laughs> That's a brilliant idea. Have you played with that yet? The if this, then that? Oh, yeah. In fact, I use it for ReadQuick. So I, I will set up. There are certain feeds that I would love to have right inside of ReadQuick that I can just go to. I don't have to go separately get them. And I, uh, I've been able to pull in. Um, I've been able to pull in through if this, then that. Um, like some BuzzFeed politics feed or technology stuff. And I just want it to come right inside of ReadQuick, right inside a pocket. Um, and uh, it just pops up right right there for me. Yeah. Well, hook up your Wemos to it because you can do that, and then you're going to find all sorts of cool tricks you can do. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna have to try that out. Yeah, um, you know, we've been going a while, but uh, what's in your menu bar? I mean, tell us about some of the little things you use to get through your day. Hmm. You know, the one of the little apps that I've installed for years, and I just go whenever you get a new Mac, I get it right away, which is Caffeine. Yeah, everybody uses That's that. A great one. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's so little, it's so, so tiny. It takes just a second to download, but I need it. You know, I need it when I'm doing work on my computer, launch caffeine, fill up the little coffee cup. And that's, uh, that's one of those indispensable apps that you just need if you're a Mac user. Yeah. So caffeine, um, what it does, if, you've, if you're not familiar with it, is it, it turns off the go to sleep mechanism in your Mac. So if you want your screen to stay lit up and doing things, you just click that button and it goes like when I do a podcast, I always, um, uh, set caffeine on so the screen doesn't go dark as I sit here talking. Right. Some of the little things I've been using in the photo world, like on my iPad, just some fun apps um, that I've been playing and testing. Uh, an app called, um, let me pull it up here. Um, I love this. It's sort of become indispensable for travel. You know, if I want to store everything in Lightroom, which I've been using, an app that, I'm going to get the name wrong. Darn it. Here it is. Um, called Photosmith. And I wrote up a little review on it, but it's great. It actually syncs with Lightroom. So I can import all of my photos uh, to my photo library on my iPad using the camera connection kit, launch Photosmith, and I'm able to go through in five star or not, you know, I can tag, add any metadata that I want, pick the photos that I eventually want to work on back when I'm at my iMac. And all of that metadata will transfer over. So, I mean, one of the first things I do when I import hundreds of photos is I go through and pick the photos I will work on someday and I put a five star for them Yeah, and then I'll sort them by five star. And then those are the ones I will process at some point. Otherwise I, they're, they're gone in the ether and I just don't need them. So Photosmith, you open and make sure Lightroom is open on your home Wi-Fi network. I don't even have to get out a cord, any sort of syncing and automatically those photos in their raw format. I can set up all that metadata. We'll just transfer right over to my iPhoto library or my uh, Lightroom library over Wi-Fi with all of that metadata right in there. So now um, you, you said in New Zealand you shot 3,500 pictures. Right. Now, are you going to keep all of those? I, because storage is so cheap, I think um, I just keep them all in my Drobo. And you never know if you're going to need one particular exposure. And a lot of those are bracketed photos. So I took, you know, five and seven exposures of sunrise, sunset. Yeah. Um, so that I'm going to merge some for HDR. Maybe I'll pull just one single raw exposure out of those and not use HDR. But so a lot of those photos are are um, uh, are, are bracketed photos. But, uh, yeah, storage is just so cheap. I just have like, you know, 16 terabytes on a Drobo that why not keep it? Where do you do HDR? 
So I do HDR. That's on my menu bar as well. Photomatics. Yeah. yeah, it's such a great app. It's probably the best app for for doing HDR and using Lightroom. I'll pick the five exposures or seven exposures or crazy if there's nine exposures of something, and just drag them right into Photomatics on my menu bar in the latest version of Photomatics Pro. Run it through a couple of filters to make sure that I don't, um, you know, do some ghosting tools and different things. If I want to do that, I usually don't do it there. I usually do that in Photoshop and then export it. Once that's done, it pops up and I can play with it a little bit more and then bring it right into Photoshop and then add it into Photoshop layers and start, you know, masking in some of the detail from one of the exposures. And, and then, uh, you know, I, I save out everything to iPhoto eventually, like the, the stuff that I want to keep permanently is sort of like a home portfolio and all of our family photos. I use iPhoto, which is just a really elegant solution. It's very simple. Um, and then we can share it. I share it out to our, our Drobo and we have access to it, but all my home photos live in iPhoto. Okay. So, so eventually, uh, not 3,500, but some much smaller set of those lands in iPhoto, and then you can put it out on your iPads and share it across with your family. Right. And very often I'll do just a bunch of presets, you know, I'll go through Lightroom. If I want to have our Christmas photos from, you know, the family visiting and I've got maybe 70 photos, I'll go through and pick the 30 that were the best, you know, kind of go through and do some light, you know, light, light post-processing on those to make sure the lighting is correct and then just dump those out to iPhoto and share them with the family. You know, I've been using PhotoStream a lot and I love the way that PhotoStream works for sharing photos within the family. Yeah, you know, I was just going to ask you about that. We're, we're doing the same thing in our family where um, we finish any family event and I just set up a PhotoStream and send out invites to everybody and it's really yeah. nice. Yeah, it works great. I mean, it really works great. And then everyone can subscribe to it, you know, and during the holidays, it was great to see the family members all hitting subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And then they can add little comments, uh, you know, if they're out of town, they don't get to, they weren't here. Um, and you get in its, you know, closed environment. But what's great is it goes up to your photo stream. So then uh, when you're watching your Apple TV and the screensaver comes up, now you've got all those Christmas photos you just shared with the family that are in photo stream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, I didn't realize how serious you are about photography. Yeah, I didn't either. You know, this past summer, I shot my son's birthday party, his second birthday party, and it was terrible. I had, you know, nice high-end DSLR that I had been using, but I was never really good at it. And all the photos were just blurry and terrible. And I had like a 50 prime lens on there. And, and I was like shooting from like a high angle down to the kids. And it, there was just like a few usable ones. And I said, that is it. Because I've always loved photography since I was a kid. And I said, that's it. I'm learning seriously this year. And I really started to get really serious about it and then launched uh, that blog. And, you know, it's just been a learning in public sort of thing. Yeah, that sometimes that works, you know, sometimes just putting it out there. But where did you go to learn? Well, let's see. The first thing I did about a week after I made that commitment, I um, I had been friends online with uh, Trey Ratcliffe. And he was coming to New York and he and I got together and we just spent the afternoon shooting in Central Park together. And we became friends and close friends and just went to New Zealand with him uh, a few weeks ago. You know, he's one of the you know, great photographers, yeah. one of the best HDR photographers in the world. And, and he's so unassuming. And I just watched some of his HDR tutorials and I've just, just been reading and reading and reading. And I really tried to live by the mantra that we were talking about earlier, which was just learning small pieces and having no agenda and not trying to become a pro just trying to keep this as a hobby, something fun with no agenda. And I was terrified of ISO and aperture 
f-stop and shutter speed and all that stuff. And I thought, I'm never going to learn this because I was terrible at math. And wouldn't you know it, just by doing it repeatedly and learning it, I, I, I just went into a photo situation the other day where I didn't have to think about it anymore. Well, think about it in the nervous way that I used to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It, it is. I mean, I, I'm not nearly as far down the rabbit hole as you are. In fact, I've kind of downgraded my camera to something a little simpler, but, but it is nice taking good photos, especially as your kids grow up, you're going to find that you're going to want to have some nice pictures. Yeah. I really, really try to take some great photos And my five months later, after my son's horrible birthday photo shoot, I had a, uh, a cousin's, uh, Bar mitzvah, or not bar mitzvah, <laughs> baptism. Don't want to mix those up. Yeah. <laughs> and and I was really concerned. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna nail this this time. That was my goal. I need to learn shutter speed. So when these kids are jumping on this in this playhouse thing, I'm gonna get them midair. Yeah. And I did, and I was you know really happy about that. And that was a big accomplishment that I was able to get these kids not blurry, having fun, and where these were all usable. And I was proud to share out over photo stream to the family. Yeah. It, it's funny also though that. We all have these kind of kludgy little photo workflows because we want to get the photos down to our iOS devices and we want to keep the libraries manageable. But we also take these massive numbers of photos, even with our iPhones. Um, I don't think that Apple has really completely figured it out yet for us um, how to do this. Yeah, I think it's still it's still a little wonky. I, I was writing about Flickr the other day and I'm thinking, how do all of these things fit in? You know, if I'm, am I going to share it here? Do I want my family to have access to it? Am I going to pay a monthly fee to hold it here? I've only got a thousand if I use PhotoStream and they vanish into the ether. Do I have a Drobo connected to a computer that houses all of those photos once they're in PhotoStream at home? And they, it, it's still, it's still a little bit of a mess. I mean, it, I mean, I'm not. We just did an ad spot for him, but I think Transporter for me is really going to be a big piece of that because I can set up sharing with it. It's storage I control, and I can put a big hard drive in there. Where, as I, you know, a, it gets very expensive a Dropbox when you start, you know, getting a lot of space. So, right. but I, I don't think that there is a really easy solution yet. But maybe Transporter might be uh, the trick for me. Yeah, I think but it's I, a great solution, cheaper than Dropbox for sure. Yeah, and I'm not taking as many pictures as you are. I, in fact, I I am pretty brutal about deleting pictures. I when I go through and we have a family event and I'll shoot 150 pictures. Uh, after I go through it, there'll be like 50. I mean, I I I kill a lot of pictures. Yeah, because like I, I'm not like you. I don't bracket so much, but when I have people standing there, I'll take three or four very quickly, and I'll pick the one I like and just delete the other four. I mean, I'm not I'm never going to use them. Right. Yeah, I, I might get better about that. I think, though, the, for me, the starring system is my way of deleting. <laughs> yeah, you know, no, I get so, it. If they're not starred, I just don't ever see them anymore. Yeah. So what, what I do is an aperture. I have a, um, a zero rating, and I, if I, I zero, rate it zero, then it puts it. There's a um, smart folder that collects all those, and then I just delete them. Yeah. Set up a hazel rule for that. That's what I was doing anytime, and I would have the, all the sharing functionality at a Lightroom. If it hit a Dropbox folder that was going to be shared out to my Drobo FS, I had you know set up all kinds of hazel rules so that if if I put it in the done editing folder, it's automatically sharing to our shared family folder on the Drobo FS. It's also importing it right to you know to iPhoto into the folder for family. Like all of these things are sort of set up thanks to Hazel. I need to reset that up now on my new iMac, but uh, that that would save me a lot of time. Yeah, it's I think. 
I think if we graph the number of Mac Power Users episodes versus the times we mention Hazel, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much a one for one. I mean, that yeah. app is so useful. Well, Clayton, it feels like we're just touching the surface, so maybe we'll have to have you back on another day to, to talk about all your other workflows that we didn't even get to today. Oh, I would love to. As you can tell, I would love to I'd talk about this all day, except if my wife weren't texting me, telling me it's baby duty time. Yeah. Well, maybe that's better what we should do. Maybe we should get your wife on and, and, and have her talk about all the stuff that she uses, and then she can tell us the real story. Oh, man. she's When it comes to like parenting apps and kids' apps, and you know, you, there's no one better to talk about that stuff, I'll tell you well, that. Well, you know, we, we've got on the um, chart, we're going to be doing a children's computing show pretty pretty shortly here. We may be talking to you. Yeah, uh, th- that's certainly are the, the crux and the, the nexus of our house is uh, children's computing. So, all right. Well, Clayton, I've been trying typing like a mad woman, trying to keep up with all of these links and throw them in the show notes. But uh, <laughs> I warned you. You did. You did. But where can people find you? What's what's the best place to catch up with you? Uh, you know, honestly, the best place is just Twitter. Just Clayton Morris on Twitter, and um, you know, I blog. I, I blog a little bit over at uh, photographybegins.com. dot com named after Batman Begins, um, just like sort of starting out in photography. And, of course, you can catch me on uh, Fox and Friends every weekend, and I always uh, do a Tech Take segment every week. So, um, you know, I always try to tweet that out, or that goes out as well, so you can catch sort of short two- to three-minute videos every week of uh, what technology I'm covering every weekend. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and you can find links to everything that we talked about in this show over on our website at MacPowerUsers.com. Or at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 127 is going to be this episode number. You can also reach Katie and I with the email at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or on Twitter is uh, at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Max Sparky and Katie's at Katie Floyd. Yeah. And Clayton, you said you were at Clayton Morris? At Clayton Morris, yeah. And I'm a heavy Google Plus user. I know it got slammed a lot, but I, I'm, I love it for photography, so I'm over on Google Plus quite a bit. All right, I'll put your link in the show notes for Google Plus then. Sounds cool. Yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. Bye.